الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Respected and honorable listeners السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Continuing on our story and our topic The heart of a believer We'll be discussing the story of the veiled king from the Mathnawi of Hazrat Mawlana Rumi rahimahullah and thereafter explaining the lessons derived from this, from this particular story. There once was a very handsome, saintly person who was initially very greedy for wealth and government position. He ruled as a king over some part of Arabia. He was a good poet of a very sensitive temperament involved in sensual love when divine love took possession of his heart he lost all interest in the affairs of the state and gave up sensual love the author of Qasida Burda says Naam sara taifu man ahwa fa'arraqani walhubbu ya'taridu al-ladhati bil-akami when at night the thought of my beloved enters my mind, then for the night, for the entire night, flies away all my sleep. My sleep is gone, and all pleasures then turn to sorrow. Finally, he woke up one night, wrapped a shawl around himself, covered his face, and left his sultanate. At that time, divine love had taken possession of his heart. And the hustle and bustle of government was proving to be a hindrance in the remembrance of the beloved. The moment it arrived, when his patience ran out, he uttered a cry, and like a madman, set forth towards the desert. The sincere cry from this true lover released him from the chains of government. When one initially enters upon the path, the first stages are caused by one becoming attracted to the path. Mulana Rumi rahimahullah says, Create the bounty of madness in your heart, of his love, not by intelligence alone will you reach the truth. For if the mind is not enlightened by revelation, it is better to remain an ignorant one. A special quality of this love is that one desires to sit down in solitude and remember his beloved which brings great ecstasy for this reason. Which brings great ecstasy. And for this reason, the silence of the desert is so well sought after by these true lovers of Allah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam used to say, before I was endowed with prophethood, solitude was made beloved to me. Hence he withdrew himself from all men and looked for solitude in the cave of Hira where for several days on end he would spend the time meditating and remembering Allah Ta'ala. Similar was the case of this king. He vacated the throne of his sultanate and in the middle of the night proceeded towards the desert. The poet says, when divine love had its effect, it made rest and comfort unpleasant. When he experienced the ecstasy of love of Allah Ta'ala, he removed the crown from his head. He exchanged the royal throne for a life of poverty. Well done, O true lover, well done. 
This is the case with thousands of kings. Love made them abandon the kingdom in thrones. Ask about the ecstasy of love from him whose heart has been injured by love. How can a normal person understand this love and ecstasy? How can they know the pleasure of solitude and the delights of the howling winds in the desert? Ask those true lovers of Allah whose lives have become independent of the pleasures of this temporary world and are enjoying the closeness of Allah in solitude. The pleasure of the solitude is such that thousands of gatherings may be sacrificed for it. It is such a meeting of the true beloved that it transforms the solitude of the lover into full spring bloom. Mawlana Muhammad Ahmad Sahib Fartab Gari Rahimahullah used to say, if you are not with me, then I feel distressed even in a rose garden. And if you are with me, then I enjoy the taste of a rose garden, garden even in a desert. In fact, from the silence of the desert, he gets the message from his friends. Gaya me bool gulista kesare afsane diya payam kuch aisa sukut sehrane. I have forgotten all the stories of the rose garden, and silence of the desert has conveyed such a message. The king commands traveling over mountains and rivers, over deserts and plains until he was outside the boundaries of his sultanate and reached the book. He threw a veil over his face so that people would not recognize him. In Tabuk, he suffered, he suffered starvation and hunger for several days. At last, being reduced to weakness, he went to work with some laborers who were making bricks. He worked with the veil over his face, but from time to time the veil was lifted by the wind and the other laborers became aware of his noble features. In the end, the word spread among the laborers that this veil one is an ambassador of some country or perhaps the king of a country. The word spread even further in the land until it reached the king of Tabuk. The king of Tabuk became worried that an ambassador or a king of another country had joined the laborers to spy on his kingdom and launch an attack after acquiring the secrets of the state. He thought that it would be best to personally investigate the matter. Hence, the king of Tabuk prepared to travel and soon entered the ranks of the laborers with whom the Vale king was busy making bricks. The king ordered all the other laborers to move away and then personally remove the veil from the face of the handsome and noble-faced one. The king then addressed the veiled one, O oh, handsome one, tell me the truth, who are you? Your enlightened face informs me that you are the king of some country, but why this poverty? It seems that you have sacrificed your comfort and royalty for this want and poverty. O oh, man of courage, may my sultanate of Tabuk and all sultanates be sacrificed for your courage. Quickly tell me your secret. If you would be my guest, I would indeed consider it my good fortune. I would derive endless pleasure through the nearness of your company. In this manner, the king of Tabuk 
spoke to the veiled king who was poorly dressed and appealed to him to relate his true story. However, in spite of the pleasant conversation, the veiled one, instead of revealing his secret, spoke to the king about divine love in such a manner that the heart of the king of Tabuk also became filled with this, with this divine love. He too decided to leave his sultanate and to remain in the company of the veiled one. Then during the night, both of them started walking towards another kingdom in order that the subjects may not worry them and so that the two of them could in solitude remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They walked for a long way until they entered another kingdom. Mulana Rumi rahimahullah says that divine love was not responsible for this ab abandonment of wealth, splendor and power of government once only. It has happened so many times that a person is prepared to sacrifice wealth and splendor for the sake of divine love. Nonetheless, the veiled one who had abandoned his kingdom must have enjoyed great ecstasy in his love of Allah Ta'ala that he also influenced the king of Tabuk to cast aside his kingdom and to adopt a saintly aesthetic life forsaking all worldly comforts and becoming filled with divine love. O oh love, sick one, what did you blow into my heart? O oh love, sick one, what did you blow into my heart? That it is a river of blazing fire passing through my heart. Hazrat Khaja Aziz al-Hasan Majzub rahimahullah had written this couplet about his Shaykh Azad Hakim al-Ummah Mawlana Tanwi rahimahullah in which he speaks of this blazing fire of love. Jis qalb ki garmi ne dil phunk diye lako is qalb me ya Allah kya aag bari hogi. The one whose sighs of the heart have burned numerous hearts what a blazing fire must be hidden therein. Just as fire spreads from one house to another, so does divine love spread from one heart to another. Hazrat Rumi rahimahullah says that from one heart to another, there are secret ways. He goes on to explain this phenomenon of the heart to heart influence with a beautiful example. He says, understand the secret unseen ways of heart, of heart to heart contact like this, when two lamps are being lit, the lamps will remain separate, but the light will become intermixed. In other words, if the lamps are lit, it is impossible to say which light belongs to which lamp. Similarly, the bodies of mu'mineen are different, but when they sit together in a gathering, the enlightenment anwar from their hearts become as one in the atmosphere of the gathering place. This is one of the reasons why the courier of this sharia the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, gave the advice to the Muslims to have mutual consultations over matters of importance. Among the other points of wisdom in mutual consultation is that when 10 Muslims gather for consultation, then it is like 10 lamps burning together in one place and their light being so much stronger than one light. Hence, in the light of this increased light of Iman and Yaqeen, the truth is uncovered. Mulana Rumi rahimahullah then explains, 
consult with the assembly of righteousness, righteous people. For the Messenger وسلم, was also ordered to do so. The minds of men are like lighted lamps. The light of 20 lamps surely gives more light than one. Mawlana Rumi rahimahullah further says, this is also the reason why Rasulullah prohibited monasticism because by casting aside the world and going to settle alone in a cave in the mountains, the idea of mutual rectification and consultation is lost. He says thus, the Prophet prohibited monast monasticism and living in solitude in the mountains so that no one may be deprived of the benefit of mutual contact and blessings acquired through the company of the saintly ones. Allah Ta'ala has placed such healing powers in the sights of some of the saintly ones that by the mere casting of a glance an evil doer is tra transformed into a righteous one and mischievous ones become doers of good. Judge Akbar Ilahabadi puts it in this way Na kitabo se, na wazo se, nazar se peida, deen hota hai, buzrugo ki nazar se peida. Neither from books, nor from preaching, nor from wealth, deen comes alive through the glances of the saintly ones. Here an object, objection may be raised that the story being told here refers to a king who had cast aside his kingdom in the whole world. It is not thus. Also, a case, is, is not thus also a case of the prohibited monasticism? The answer to this question is thus, for the king to discard his throne, to choose a life of poverty and join the poor laborers is not monasticism. Monasticism means to absolutely avoid all contact with society, to go into complete solitude. The king did not abandon the world. He changed his lifestyle from that of royal of the royal one to that of an ordinary one inshallah we will continue with this heart touching story towards the end and jazakallah ke chashme baaz kar di mera baajan mera mera baajan ja hum raaz kar di May Allah Ta'ala reward you well for opening my eyes and for having joined me to the true beloved of Allah. Allah bless us all with the ability and tawfiq. And inshallah, until next week, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.